Today we're going to be talking about an issue that every person deals with and struggles in their life. The issue of money, the issue of finances. I heard a story recently about an elderly couple named Jake and Martha. Jake and Martha had been married for countless years, and Jake, as long as he could remember, was obsessed with airplanes. He loved airplanes, but never had an opportunity to ever ride in any of these airplanes. So what did he do? Every year they would go to their county fair, and there would be airplanes that you could rent and go up in a ride for only $10. And every year he would look over at his wife, and she would always respond, Jake, $10 is $10. And they wouldn't do it. And this went on year after year. $10 is $10 until finally one year he was about 90 years old. And he looked at his wife and she said the same thing. $10 is $10. And that is when one of the pilots overheard him. And he said, listen, I'll make both of you a deal. I will take you both up in my airplane for free. The only stipulation is the entire time we are in the air, you cannot say a word. If you say one word, you owe me $10. They agreed. They got in the airplane, and the pilot gets them up in the air, and they did exactly what they said they would do. They kept their mouth shut because $10 is $10. And the pilot decided he was going to try to make his money, so he did everything he could to get them to say something. He did barrel rolls and over and unders. He did everything he could think of. He rocked the plane back and forth. He was as violent and as wild as he could absolutely be. Until finally he gave up. He recognized that they had an ironclad will. And he landed the plane. In which his response, he speaks to Jake. And he says, Jake, I am absolutely blown away. I cannot imagine that you were able to keep quiet this entire time. He said, well, I thought about saying something after the first barrel roll when Martha fell out. But $10 <laughs> is $10. Church, I'm kind of with Jake. Martha deserved it, okay? You know, most couples, the most major disagreement that they have has to do with finances. According to the Gallup Poll Organization, 67% of all couples worry regularly about money. And of all the couples that divorce, 80% cite financial problems as the leading cause for their divorce. Did you know that the average credit card debt for a U.S. couple is over $15,611? dollars in just credit cards alone. See, how about this stat? This one is very eye-opening. According to the same source, it says that only 41% of families spend less than what they earned. That means that 60% of modern-day families are going into debt on a daily basis. 60% of families spend more than what they bring in. See, we oftentimes get defensive about finances, but here's the thing. I think that God cares about our finances. He wants for us to be wise with his finances. And if we were to look at what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these three gospels speak of money directly or indirectly one out of every six verses. Out of every six verses, at least one verse speaks about 
finances within these texts. That is amazing because God cares how we spend his money. We're going to talk about giving today, but let me go ahead and preface this. Often when pastors preach about giving, it is really frowned upon. People get very nervous and people think that we have some sort of an agenda. Let me go ahead and ease your mind for a minute. We are not doing a special offering, nor do I have a plan right now to take a special offering. Hear me. The church is not in debt. We are very financially blessed, and we have been for so many years. We serve a congregation of very, very faithful givers. Hear me. We are not in trouble. I'm not saying this because we didn't meet budget this month. We have made budget every month that I'm aware of. We have been extremely blessed, Emmanuel. But listen to me. I'm not preaching about finances because we need your giving. We needs your money. That's not why I'm talking about that. Why am I talking about it? Because I believe that when we are generous, you will be blessed. When I look at scripture, I see that God calls us to be generous givers, giving back to the Lord because he has graciously given to us. Let's look together at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. I'll read the entire text and then we'll start to break it down. Verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. He, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. So let's give a little bit of a background on this text. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And what he's actually trying to do here is he's actually having a little bit of a fundraiser. Because the main church, the mega church, the sending church, if you will, the church at Jerusalem was having some issues. See, in Jerusalem at the time, just about every job had something to do with, directly or indirectly, with the temple. And because of people were professing Christ, if you were to have professed Christ in Jerusalem, any time that you had anything to do with the temple, if you had any sort of a wage earned, having anything at all to do with the temple, you would lose your job. So the people of Jerusalem were losing their jobs. They were no longer bringing in their wages. And in turn, what happens? They start to live in major poverty. Now, if you're like me, what would you tell them to do right off the top of your head? If you're like me, right off the top of your head, you would think, well, church in Jerusalem, it sounds like you need to relocate. But that's not what the Lord wanted them to do. Why not? Because when Christians move out of their community, 
often they lose the influence of Christ within that community. They were called to be there as missionaries into Jerusalem. And so they're reaching out to the church of Corinth. Now, this is intriguing, too. This is a, we could preach a lot of different angles in this text. See, the church of Jerusalem probably wasn't major fans of the church of Corinth because the church of Corinth didn't have the greatest reputation. Corinth at the time had a little bit of the Vegas reputation. You know what I'm talking about? You know that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of thing? That's kind of what was going on around Corinth. It was more of a pagan culture, more of a sinful culture. The church of Jerusalem probably didn't appreciate the church of Corinth very much. The church of Corinth had Hebrews or Gentiles within it and in turn the church of Jerusalem not quite as much of a fan but they needed them and all of a sudden the reputation of Corinth can change because of the generosity of the believers that were had there. And so all of a sudden, Paul starts to ask them something. He's asking them to be generous in their giving, not to benefit themselves, but to benefit other believers that were not in their community. So what is that talking about? Giving towards missions. He's saying, hey, we don't want to take up an offering just to bless you. We don't want to take up an offering just to take care of your church. We're going to ask your church to give money that will never come back and financially bless your church per se. But in turn, we'll go out and bless another community of believers to make the gospel go forward. So here's what ends up happening. Here's what we're going to see. Paul gives us three major things that we can take away from in this text. He tells us why we should give how we should give, and why he gives. So first off, we see the why we should give. In verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. See, when we sow seed bountifully, when we plant many seeds, we often have a greater harvest. When I first started ministry in little Haskell, Texas, little farm town, I knew nothing about farming, but here's what I learned rather quickly. The farmers were very liberal in planting their seed. They did not save seed for later. They planted all the seed they could into the fields, praying that God would give them a return on the seed that they planted. See, here's what's funny. I never met a farmer, never met a farmer that would not plant seed that would refuse to plant seed and then expect that he would harvest that field later. That would be a pretty dumb farmer. But often there are Christians that expect for God to bless you when you have a closed hand. See, I love this phrase, God cannot bless a closed hand. When we have an open hand, God sure enough can take things out because everything belongs to him anyway. But God also has the blessing to be able to put things in as well. And as Christians, we must have open hands, being generous, creating a culture of generosity. See, growing up in Atlanta, funny enough, one of the things me and my friends used to do is hang out at gas stations. I know that sounds silly, but we did. We'd hang out at all these gas stations. There was two gas stations in two different parts of town, and it was really humorous to me how it worked. See, there was this little dish on the counter of every gas station that we would hang out in. And this counter was, give a penny, take a penny. You ever seen those before? To where, hey, you can put your spare change in there, and if you want to take a little bit or put a little bit in, you could do that. Well, there was one gas station we always hung out in that that was always empty. If anybody ever put money in, sure enough, the next person would take it out, whether they needed it or not. But there was another gas station. 
another gas station just a few miles down the road. And the people there understood generosity. It was the weirdest thing. Because every single time we would go into this gas station, not only did we find out that they always had significant amounts of change in their dish, but at the end of the day, they would donate those finances to a homeless shelter down the road or other nonprofits because they always were in excess. They always had more. They never overdrew. They always received more than anybody took because people were always creating this culture, this culture of generosity. See, can I tell you, it's really easy to not be generous to somebody who's not generous to you. Isn't that easy? Like, isn't it easy just to keep the cycle of somebody's attitude going? When somebody refused to help you when you were in need, isn't it easy to tell them no when they need you? But see, when we are generous with our giving, when we are generous towards others, when you are in need, you have created this culture of generosity to where it will come back. Proverbs 11 verses 24 through 25 says this, one person gives freely yet gains more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. As generous people will prosper, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Generosity produces exponential blessing. We must continuously strive to create a culture of generosity. Verse 7, each one must, as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What is this text saying? Your motive matters. God wants you to have pure motive about your giving. Now, I truly believe this. I believe that people have no problem putting money out for things that they are passionate for and things that they believe in. Case in point, do we have any hunters in the room? Homeboy's throwing money out on some hunting. I'm just telling you. Like, goodness. I'm just telling If you are passionate about something, you have no problem throwing some money down to get that hunting job done, right? Listen, we all have hobbies like that, right? Listen, I, I'm paying medical bills because my hobby's rugby, right? So I'm learning. It's an expensive hobby. Here's the thing. Stick with me just for a minute. When we are passionate about seeing the gospel go forward, our motive all of a sudden becomes cheerful. Our attitude becomes cheerful. And in turn, what happens? We have no problem giving because we recognize that God is prompting us to give to a greater cause that we should be passionate about. Out of all of the hobbies in our life, out of all of the passions in our life, to see the gospel go forward and to make much of Jesus should truly excite us. See, here's the thing. I think we all need to realize that at one point, we did not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Each one of us at some point in our life did not have a relationship with Jesus. And can you even remember back to that? See, sometimes it's hard to remember back to that point, especially if you were saved when you were younger like I was. But here's what we always need to remember. We always need to remember what life was like without Jesus. Because we become more and more grateful to see the gospel go forward in saving and reaching those that do not 
have him. See, I've been privileged in the past few years of my life to travel the world and to see the gospel going forward to nations that were unreached. I've been able to sit on banks of rivers and watch people that have never heard the gospel be presented the gospel for the first time. I've been able to stand on the back of trucks in the deserts of Africa and watch thousands of people respond to the goodness of Jesus Christ. And guess what? That happens because people are faithful and generous to give. Our finances can make much of Jesus. And so our motive matters. Now listen, there's this debate. Maybe you guys talked about this a little bit in life groups today. And maybe you might get into it in covenant groups and that'd be great. But see, there's this whole concept right now about tithing. And see, when it comes to tithing, when I was younger, I was 21, 22 years old. I was brand new to church ministry, full-time church ministry. And I remember sitting in a deacon's meeting. And I remember one of these deacons said something to me that blew my mind. He said, you know, tithing is an Old Testament principle. And we shouldn't teach tithing because it's nowhere in the Old Testament. Or nowhere in the New Testament. It's completely in the Old Testament. When Jesus came, he changed the game. The Old Testament, we shouldn't listen to that anymore. We should not push tithing 10%. Just let everybody give whatever they want. And there was another guy in the room, real quiet guy. You ever known that guy in the room that he never says much, but every time he does, it's always really good? Like, that's that guy. And this guy all of a sudden says something, and we all pay attention. And he said, listen, I've heard that argument before. But every time I've heard that argument, it's always for somebody to justify them giving less rather than them giving more. It's always for them to justify them being greedy or stingy rather than them being gracious in their giving. And then he said this. He said, you were right. The New Testament doesn't talk about tithing 10%. But you know what Jesus said about giving? He said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. So why don't you go ahead and pick? It was a really awkward moment in that deacon's meeting, but I loved it. That guy started squirming. It was so much fun. Here's the truth. Here's where I just want to throw this out to you guys. I don't think we should give out of obligation. I think we give out of appreciation I don't think we give because there are rules to giving. Once again, your pastor doesn't like rules, but here's what I recognize. If I were to give out of the appreciation of my heart for what Christ has done for me and knowing that my finances can bless others to make an eternal impact, hear me, it always causes me to be more of a gracious giver because everything that I hold on to doesn't make much of Jesus. But when I let it go and live with an open hand, we live blessed. Remember, a closed hand, God cannot bless. So we give with a cheerful heart because God loves a cheerful giver. Let's look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, Paul's using some pretty strong language here. Do you see this? He is really trying to make it clear. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
Paul wants us to understand that everything that we have comes from the Lord. And every blessing that we have has come from the Lord. And in turn, we live with an open hand because everything that we truly have doesn't truly belong to us. But rather, we are stewarding it for the Lord. It's just like with everything else we do in our lives. When you said yes to Jesus, you said no to yourself. You said, I will no longer live for me, but I will live for the Lord. So what does that mean? That means that in everything that you do, you represent our Savior and you live as if he's the one making every single decision. That affects how we live. That affects who we vote for. That affects how we give. That affects how we parent and how we treat our spouse. That affects everything that we do. And that absolutely affects our giving. That affects how we handle our finances. God wants us to be wise, but he wants us to be gracious. Verse 9. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. That word poor is actually a very strong word, basically meaning destitute. Poor as poor can get. And he's saying those who are given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He has given to the poor. He has given to us. Because listen, we are destitute Without him, verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Remember that Jesus is the source. Jesus is the source. Verse 8, it says, God is able. Everything that you have comes from him. I heard a story the other day I'd like to share with you. So I heard a story about this very arrogant scientist who cracked his head up towards heaven one day and he said God I know that you made life and all of the stuff within it but you must now feel terribly outdated because we can basically do everything you can do see we can run this without you and so God decided to speak to the scientist audibly and he said let's have a challenge let's have a contest and the scientist agreed so God reaches down, picks up a handful of dirt, he blows on it, and now comes this exotic, magnificent white bird. The scientist says, wow, this is quite a challenge. So the scientist closes his eyes, takes a deep breath, realizing he has mastered all of the science of soil manipulation and cloning. And so he reaches down, picks up a handful of dirt, and that's when God stopped him and said, hey, 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 you go get your own dirt. Everything we have comes from God. Everything we have, there is not a breath that you take that hasn't been given to you. So whatever resource we have, we need to be open to it because truly we didn't earn it. It has been blessed to us by the Lord. First Corinthians chapter four, verse seven says, what do you have that you did not receive? See, the answer to that is absolutely nothing. Now let's see the result of our giving. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of their service is not only supplying the need of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. You see what's going on here? 
when we are generous, it honors God. To be a Christian means to be generous. I truly do not believe that you can be a Christian in good standing with the Lord without having an open hand and being generous with your finances to the Lord. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of God or needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. See, the word service is another word for worship. When it says, for the ministry of this service, for the ministry of this worship, I truly believe that giving is worship to the Lord. I heard a story this week of a young preacher who he made a major mistake. And in one of the very first services that he officiated as the senior pastor, he forgot to take the offering. He forgot to take the offering. And at the end of the service, he said a very sweet senior adult lady came up to him. And she said, son, and all of a sudden, this very sweet lady looked very mean. And she said, you forgot the offering. And he said, I know, I'm so sorry, I forgot. He says, I'm hoping that we'll be okay. I think financially we're doing just fine. We can go without a week. Hopefully next week they'll just give us what they forgot to give us this past week. It'll work out. And she said, no, 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 you don't understand. She said, when I give, it's an act of worship. And you deprived me of an opportunity to worship my Savior today. Don't do it again. Y'all, can I tell you? Sweet, sweet little old ladies are scary when they put that finger in your face. And you listen. I'm just telling you, you ever been, I mean, grandmas are mean. You know what I'm talking about. And I'll tell you right now, we will always give our people an opportunity to give back to the Lord. Because here's what we understand too. Emmanuel Baptist Church, like I said, we're doing great. Financially, we're doing fine. We are making budget. We actually typically have an abundance in which we give back to make sure that the gospel goes forward. We are a very missional and giving church. We want to make much of Jesus by giving our finances to go forward as an investment. Hear me. The more that we do with our finances to make an internal impact, the more blessed we will be. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21 says this. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we want to use the finances that God has blessed us with to make an eternal impact. So let, let's recap for a minute. We respond to the generosity of God by being generous. And the result of our giving is glorifying to the Lord. And now we see the reason for our giving. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible, or another word for inexpressible is indescribable gift. What is the gift? See, the gift is Jesus. The gift is that God bestowed upon us something that we did not deserve. And in turn, let's be open-handed because God promises that he will take care of us when we are faithful to give to him. Paul, I believe, as he's dictating these words, is excited. I think Paul is pumped. Paul is excited to give because he recognizes that he gets to give back to the Jesus who has already given his life for him. We are blessed. Church, I want to do something a little funny with you guys today, if you don't mind. See, 
I've been in youth ministry for a long time, and I kind of am a visual learner. So if you don't mind, let's be a little visual today. See, I used to hear this illustration all the time. What a lot of people do with their finances is this. See, they take their finances, and often what we do is we prioritize things a little incorrectly. So let's just let this sugar represent our wants and our desires. So often what we do is we make sure that our wants and our desires get the attention first. And so we, in our budget, first allocate for our wants and our desires. And then what do we do next? Then we start to think about the bills that we need to pay. So then we start to throw in all of the things for our bills. We make sure that our water bill's paid for, that our kids' college tuition is taken care of, that we got the mortgage taken care of, not to mention the cable and all of that really important things. And then whatever is left that we can fit into our budget, we do our best to try to squeeze in a little bit to give to the Lord. Now, if you've seen this illustration before, we recognize that we can fit more into our budget if we do things a little bit differently. So if we do this, instead, let's start off with another clean container. But if we give to God what is God's, and we're faithful to hear from the Lord, and we're faithful to get alone with God, and to spend time with the Lord, and to be led and to listen, and when he leads us to give, we're faithful to give that, and to give that with a pure and cheerful heart. So we give to God what he asks of us, and then what we can do is then we start to take care of the needs that we have, right? And so then we're able to take care of all of the needs, and then using that roughly the same amount of ingredients that I did before, we then can set ourselves up to put all of our wants in there and everything will work out just perfect and it will all balance out if we just change the order. Isn't that cute? Isn't it cute how all of a sudden everything works out just perfectly if we give God what is due to him first? But can I tell you this for a second? Like that's really cute, but that's not really correct because here's what God's called us to do see God tells us to give to him to give to him graciously and can I tell you that God calls us to be sacrificial givers what does that mean that means that often we're not going to be able to fit all of our wants in our budget can I tell you if you can fit all of your wants inside your budget you're making way too much money because this boy can't okay Hear me, guess what? There are things we have to say no to in order to be a sacrificial giver. It means there might be times where you say, listen, I'm not going to go on a vacation this year so I can make much of Jesus in my finances and go on a mission trip instead. Hey, instead of spending those five, six, seven, eight dollars a drink at Joe Pine, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take those finances. I'm going to use them to make much of Jesus through my giving. I'm going to make sure that I take care of that family in the church or take care of that family overseas that is struggling. Can I just be real with you? This concept that if we give Jesus his 10% or whatever he's called us to give and we give to him faithfully, that all of a sudden every single desire we have is going to be taken care of, that's not promised in Scripture. You know what Scripture promises, though? It promises that if we're generous, God will provide for our needs. I see that all over the text. But I think we need to recognize, let's not get our wants in the way of our needs and of our giving to the Lord. Church, once again, when it comes to tithing, I think tithing is just the shallow end of our giving, to be honest with you. 
Because when you think about the graciousness that God has bestowed upon you, my goodness, we are so blessed. We can give out so much more abundantly than what we realize. Listen, in a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to make ourselves available in the front. If you want to come talk to myself or Brother Jeremy, please do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to spend time with you. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to make much of you. And God, I pray that in our giving, we will do everything we can to make much of you, making less of ourselves, not making our own wants and our own desires a priority, but rather making the mission of the gospel our priority. God, I pray that our wants and our desires will become less self-centered and more focused on making sure that the gospel goes forward because we recognize that this life is so fleeting. What happens in this life is so temporary, but God, you have given us earthly resources that we can use to make an eternal impact for the glory of you. God, I pray that we recognize that and we are faithful in that. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.